I offer as our prayer this morning the text from hymn 420, and I invite you to join me on the word, Alleluia. When in our music God is glorified, and adoration leaves no room for pride, it is as though the whole creation cried, Alleluia. How often making music we have found a new dimension in the world of sound as worship moves us to a more profound. So has the church in liturgy and song and faith and love through centuries of wrong borne witness to the truth in every tongue. Alleluia. And did not Jesus sing a psalm that night when utmost evil strove against the light? Then let us sing for whom he won the fight. Alleluia. Let every instrument be tuned for praise. Let all rejoice who have a voice to raise. And may God give us faith to sing always. Alleluia. Amen. Today's gospel invites us to explore the central Christian practice of welcome. Jesus says, whoever welcomes you welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. And if you go back through the biblical narrative from Abraham welcoming angels unaware to Naomi and Ruth and their whole sojourn to be welcomed and then to welcome the strangers, all the way through Jesus and his ministry to the outcasts, the sick, the sinners, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, this theme of welcome resonates. It plays throughout the narrative. And one of the ways we Anglicans, we Episcopalians, the sort of the Episcopal branch of the Jesus movement, might think about one of our central tasks. How might we do this act of welcoming? I think, I would make the case to you, that the central Anglican act, the most distinctive way to be Anglican, is not actually what we wear, or the songs we sing, or the words we say, but is this practice to translate the vernacular, to translate the word into the vernacular, to tell the good news of Jesus in the neighborhood in a way that translates. And it's true that our traditions come from England. The English cathedral tradition is beautiful and we love it. I was glad, it was stunning. I know it, I love it. I love the D major. I had this memory of a, of a volunteer choir singing F natural making the D minor chord, and the organist came running out like, no, 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 it's I was glad, not sad. So it's, it's a beautiful tradition, and we love it, and it's part of who we are. It's not the only part of who we are. If you look at where the Anglicans are around the world today, 3% are in the United States, 30% are in England, 55% are in Africa, and the other 12% are around the world. So if you say, what is it to be Anglican? It's all those people in all those places telling the good news in their neighborhood in a way that translates. All over the world, right now, and all across the world today, people are going to be Anglican in thousands of different ways. And that's beautiful, because it tells us that worship can be a sign and an instrument and a foretaste of God's kingdom, which is not tribal or national, but rather global and multicultural. Because God says in Genesis, all things that God created are good and very good. God looks across the whole spectrum of creation and calls it good. And so this is a day that's bittersweet for me personally, I know for a lot of us, because we are bidding farewell to our friend and our brother, 
Kirk Rich. And I wonder if you would join me in praising God and thanking Kirk for the incredible music ministry that you've been a part of here for five years. So we have been close colleagues and friends for four years since I've been here. We have worked on worship planners and liturgies and music and choir anthems and where the verges are going to go and where the strings are going to go and where the platform is going to be. And we have exchanged, uh, you know, the GIFs, like gifts, you know? We call it the gifts of God for the people of God. Uh, hilarious memes. We have just had a chance to uh, share in ministry and music together and... On a personal note, I love you and I'm going to miss you and it's been a real pleasure working with you, Kirk. And our last is Louisville's gain and to Laura too, we send you forth with our love, with our blessing. And um, there's so much to celebrate, which we will do at length in Ellis Hall after the service. But I want to tell you some of the things that I think we can celebrate. The choir sounds amazing. The relationships across town with Holy Innocence. Thank you to Sean and your choir for joining us. The St. Luke's and with the cathedral building, bringing this beautiful Steinway Crown Jewel piano, maintaining the organ, it sounds fantastic. The choir has been rebuilt and is flourishing after COVID, which is no small task. And of course, you're playing and you're conducting and the incredible music that comes forth from you. So we give great thanks for all you have done in our midst, and we send you forth with our great blessing. And this is a good day to talk about why music matters in worship. Have you had the experience in the hospital or in a car crash or some sort of difficult moment in your life where you didn't have words? You, you literally didn't know what to say. But maybe a song came to mind. Or maybe someone played it or sang it. And then suddenly you remembered something about the world God yearns for. I think that the theology we call in in times of trouble is the theology we have sung. Because it combines our head and our heart. It touches who we are at our depth. You know, as a professional talker, it has become very clear to me that no one hums the sermon at the end of the day, you know? There's something beyond language. There's something that's precognitive. It's like the color of the stained glass and the sound of the triad and the sound of the chords. There's something about our lives that cannot be captured by language. And music does that. It's so powerful and it's so important. And it's scriptural. It comes from the Psalms. They're always talking about the hymn, the, the timbrels and the lyres and the organs and the pipes. Well, not the organs yet, but the music, you know. And um, there's this great tradition of sighs too deep for words, as Paul discusses it in Romans. Music speaks to the soul. It calms the savage beast, as it is said. It's, it gives voice to the depth of human experience. And we need it. And it's expensive. And it takes thousands of hours to be able to sing and play and conduct like you do, to get to that level. And it's worth it because it, it brings us to a place of depth. As the Psalms say, deep calls unto deep. 
it also brings us together. Because one of the things that I have learned about the world is that it's very divided. It's very polarized, and we all sort of go into our camps. When we leave today, I will listen to something in my car that is very different from what you will listen to in your car. And then when we go for a walk or for a run, I'll put something in my headphones that is very different from what you put in your headphones. But what we do here is culturally strange and beautiful, which is all of our preferences sort of go to the side and the good of the whole becomes the center. And so what we do here becomes really beautiful and powerful and strange, and it doesn't happen in very many other places. We will tell stories based on a guy 2,000 years ago, Jesus of Nazareth, who told stories across the backwaters of the Roman Empire to help imagine God's dream for the world. We will sing together in harmony with organ and strings and choir. And where else does that happen? If you go to the baseball game and everyone tries to sing the, the national anthem, it is a sorry sight. It's not even the same pitch. It's not even the same key. People sing happy birthday in the, in the restaurants now, and it's like, oh man, did you guys not have choir? Like, it doesn't happen very many other places, but it happens here. We sing together in harmony. And when you sing with someone, it's a little bit easier to focus on what unites than what divides. I want to tell you a story about that. I was, uh, I was serving at All Saints Beverly Hills, which is a wonderful place, much like All Saints Atlanta. They have nice things, they like nice things, and they're used to it. My friend Craig Phillips, the amazing organist and composer, choir director, is there. And their favorite song is my least favorite song. The song that I dislike the most is the song they sing on Easter Day, every Sunday at the end of communion. And you, and you might even love it, and I hope I don't offend you. It's, you know, and I will raise them up. Uh, and I don't like it because I don't like the text and the rhythm and the harmony, and I think it's slightly anti-Semitic, and it's a problematic text, but they love it. They adore this hymn, and it's not my favorite. So Easter Day comes along, and they have this tradition, which is also not my tradition, where this like super staid, you know, very much like us congregation, puts their hands in the air and stands up right after communion, which is not my tradition. And they love it, and it like takes them to church. And Craig, God love him, encourages it. He has like a timpani part, and he has brass parts, and he has choral descants, and he does not hold back. And so it's Easter Day, and I'm the celebrant because they want someone to chant. And uh, right before we're heading in, the ushers say, uh, "Come here for a sec. Um, Frank here has ten dollars, saying you're not going to raise your hands in the air." <laughs> and Bill's like, "And Bill over here has twenty dollars, saying you will." <laughs> And the point is, if you do it, the congregation will do it, and it will become Easter for us. This is our hymn, and it's not mine, and I don't like it. So here we go, the beautiful, you know, Jesus Christ is, all the way, all the way through, we get to communion, we chant the hymn, everything's perfect, the brass are the best in town, and Craig cranks up, and the timpani rolls, and there's like suspended symbol, I mean, he holds nothing back, right? And we get there, and all the clergy are holding on to their hymnals for dear life, because that's their excuse. Because you know, you know the refrain, and I will raise up, everyone knows it. But they're holding on, so they don't have to do it. And the ushers are in the back, like, do it, do it, do it. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to do it, I'm holding my hymnal. And then Frank, the guy who had $10 saying I wasn't going to do it, was like, well, he just goes like this. And he had so much joy on his face, and I didn't like it, and it's not my tradition, and I saw him smile, and I just did the sort of safe Oran's position. <laughs> And the congregation sang their hearts out and they raised their hands and it was Easter for them. And it wasn't my favorite song. And I learned something that day, which is it wasn't about me. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't just my preference. It was this community 
what they needed on that day was what they needed. And I could, for a minute, and I don't always do it, but when I was able to put my preference to the side and put the needs of the community at the front, we had Easter. And that really spoke to me, and that really touched me. And I want to talk to you about what it feels like to be in transition. Because most people fear most change most of the time. Except for Enneagram 7s, who love adventure and change. And I fear most change most of the time. And so we're losing an amazing musician, and, we're, and there's a lot of question, like, what's going to happen next? What's our music going to be like? What's our worship going to be like? And the, the short answer is, I don't know. But the, the deeper answer is, don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. Because I feel very confident about this community to come together, to be as one, to avoid the factions that can happen sometimes in the conversations around worship and music. I think you can feel confident that the received Anglican traditions that have worked so well here, sort of that broad church tradition with the hymnal and the prayer book at the center, English anthems, spirituals, will be at the core of who we are. They're not going anywhere. Choir, you don't have to be afraid. You can stay with us. We're going to be okay. We have amazing instruments. We have an amazing program. We're going to be okay. And we have these traditions that are part of who we are. And we have the ability to expand gently without abandoning. You know, a couple times a year we can have a jazz group or a gospel group and, and the building won't fall. We'll be okay. And we'll have that great Anglican choral sound at 1115 and the 9 o'clock service can expand gently, but it'll still feel like a broad church service, you know? Maybe it'll have blessed assurance or great is thy faithfulness or um, a spiritual. And it doesn't, it's not found in this beautiful, beloved hymnal, but it's still okay because we can still sing it and the choir can still lead it and the organ and the piano can be part of our worship tradition. And all of that is to say we need each other. And we all have our preferences because all of us are going to go listen to different music in our cars and that's okay. But the most important thing the center of who we are is following Jesus of Nazareth and his work in the world. And the way we give voice to that, just like the thousands of Anglicans all over the world today, might be different over time, but the center holds. And the center is these received traditions rooted in Jesus and his love for the world. We're going to be okay. Do not be afraid. And so, Kirk, we send you with our love and with our blessing. Our loss is their gain. And... We will move from strength to strength. I said these things to you in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.